In today's podcast, we question when communion, well, actually becomes communion. We hear about a little boy who knows how to share. We wonder if the French really do take their baguettes for walks. And we hear a story that makes us wonder if Nick Lowe really was onto something when he sang, You've Gotta Be Cruel to Be Kind, in the right measure. All on the way to answering the question, Who made your lunch? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. I served my entire ministry in a denomination that is sacramentally focused. Now, before anyone gets upset and yells, you should be focused on Scripture, let me say we are. We understand the mandate for sacraments comes from Scripture. In our church, the central sacrament is blessing the bread and the wine, as Jesus taught his disciples to do at the Last Supper, and we call that, of course, communion. Now, there are certainly those who would argue that baptism, not communion, is the central sacrament since it is the sacrament through which you join the church, since it is through baptism that you become a part of the body of Christ, as we would say. And that'd be a fair and actually an easy point of view to argue in favor of, but in this case, I'm using the term central sacrament to be the most frequently used sacrament. Now, we believe that in the blessing of the bread and the wine, Jesus becomes fully present. And of course, there are those who find it interesting to try to figure out exactly when the miracle of just plain old bread and wine, when they, through miracle, become transformed with the presence of Christ. Now, I tell you this not because I'm really excited about that debate. I tell you this because I was reading a passage of Scripture recently, one of Jesus's miracles, and there seems to me to be some similarity in the way some of us approach the sacrament of communion and the way many of us approach this particular miracle. This particular story comes from the Gospel of John, the very beginning of the sixth chapter, and here it is. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near, and when he looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to even have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments 
of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. So when I was a boy, I would often see movies that had some scene in the movie set in France, and they would show the streets of, say, Paris during the morning as the city was becoming more active. And there was something that I noticed consistently in a lot of these movies. The number of people carrying long loaves of bread was staggering. Now, if you wake up in my neighborhood early in the morning, particularly during the weekend, and you go outside, you might believe that everyone in America is either walking a dog or going for a run every morning. In France, it seems that everyone is walking around with a baguette. Some years ago, I went to France, and we stayed in Paris for several days, and I was genuinely surprised to see every morning many of the inhabitants of that city walking around, yep, you guessed it, with long loaves of bread. It's not a Hollywood-created trope. It's real. But why do I tell you this? Because those images I carried in my head from the childhood movies that I watched, those images of French people walking around with long loaves of bread, greatly influenced how I understood this story from Scripture when I heard it as a child. When the passage describes a boy with five loaves and two fish, I always imagined five baguettes and two whole salmon. As a kid, I thought he must have been on his way home from the grocery store, and those were the groceries for his family. It wasn't until I got to seminary that I discovered a commentary on this story by someone who said a better way to understand this story is to imagine five dinner rolls and a couple of small, preserved fish to eat on the rolls. Not quite five dinner rolls and two sardines, but but close. So the little boy who was offering his snack, his lunch for the day, that's what he was offering, nothing more. Which makes the multiplication of the loaves and fishes so much more dramatic, don't you think? Which, in turn, has left a great deal of people wondering how, when, the actual miracle happened. Much like people will wonder when the moment of communion transforms the bread and the wine into the real presence of Jesus, people read this passage and wonder when was the boy's snack suddenly transformed into enough food for 5,000 people? So if five rolls and two fish is enough for a boy's lunch, at a minimum, this is going to need to be multiplied 5,000 times? That's a minimum of... uh, 25,000 dinner rolls? And 10,000 fish? No wonder we get focused on the literal multiplication of the food. But recently, as I was reading this passage, something else came to my attention. But allow me to start with a story that I think will help make my point. Back in the early 50s, there was a man named William Frey, And he would eventually become an Episcopal priest and then actually go on to become an Episcopal bishop. But at the time of this story, it was several years before he was going to become a priest. And he was volunteering to help a particular student at the University of Colorado. The student was blind and Frey would read his textbooks to him. One day, as their relationship had deepened, Frey ventured to ask his new friend about his blindness. The young man told him that he'd lost his sight due to an accident. He told Frey, when the accident happened, I knew that I would never see again. I felt that life had ended. 
as far as I was concerned anyway. I was bitter and angry with God for letting it happen, and I took my anger out on everyone around me. I felt that since I had no future, I would not lift a finger on my own behalf. Let others wait on me. I shut my bedroom door and refused to come out, except for meals. He described himself as angry and very depressed. And by his own admission, he did nothing to make it better. And he continued to sink deeper and deeper into the quagmire of self-pity. His family let him have his space, believing that in time he would pull out of it. But he didn't pull out of it. Days went by, weeks, and finally months. Then one day he was sitting where he sat every day in his room, and his father walked into the room. Son, it's time for me to go to work, and it's time for you to get on with life. We will not any longer be the place for you to live out the rest of your life doing nothing more than feeling sorry for yourself. The son heard these words, and he was indignant that his father would even speak to him in such a way. His stupid dad had no idea what his life was like now, being blind. But the father continued, Also, I want to let you know it's time to put up the storm windows. I've set them out in the middle of the garage with the ladder right next to them, and it doesn't matter how you feel about it or whether you like it or not. When I get home, you will have put up all the storm windows around the house. I'll see you after work. The son was shocked. How do you expect me to do this? I'm blind! The only response was the sound of the kitchen door closing. Then he heard his father's car start. The son was furious. He felt totally alone. He did nothing for a little while, but eventually realized that, okay, he was really angry with his father, but he also knew his father well enough to know that his dad was, his dad wasn't bluffing. So he got up. And for the first time since coming home from the hospital, he made his way to the garage without assistance. As he began to feel around the garage, he discovered the windows and the ladder right there in the middle, just as his father had said they would be. The first window took him the better part of a morning to put up. It was awkward. He stumbled and struggled, frequently had to redo things because, because he'd not thought them out beforehand. The latter was difficult, awkward, and scary. He stumbled through his work, constantly swearing at his father, hoping secretly that he would fall and break his leg, arm, or even neck. That would teach his father a valuable lesson, wouldn't it? Amazingly enough, he finished the entire job. He put the ladder away, and he was back in his chair before his father walked through the kitchen door. As the young blind man told his story, he went on to admit that this experience had helped him begin to put his life back together. This was what he had needed to begin to live again. Many years later, he and his father talked about this event. It was now far enough behind them that the son was able to thank the father. He told him that though he hated him in the moment, it had been the event that had helped him turn the corner. The father also confessed as to how difficult it had been to speak to his son in the way that he had. He 
He didn't feel at all the strength of conviction that he had portrayed in his voice at the moment. The son then asked the question, the question that he'd wondered about all these years. Wasn't it hard, though, leaving me to work alone? Didn't you worry about my getting hurt? The father then admitted that he'd not gone to work that day. He admitted that he'd never been more than a few steps from his son's side the entire time. Some of the greatest gifts we are given in our lives, we never really realize what the nature of the gift was. And until his father told him, the son had never realized that his father was there spotting him all the time. I thought of this as I read the gospel passage from John because as I read this story, I realize that Jesus fed 5,000 people with loaves and fish from the lunch of a small boy. Now, with 5,000 people standing around, sitting around, milling around, doing whatever they're doing, I am convinced that the vast majority of them never knew what Jesus had done for them. Oh, there were the disciples who were close to Jesus, physically close at that moment. There was the boy who'd given his lunch. There were probably a group of people, handful of them, close enough to appreciate what was going on, but the majority, the vast majority, were fed and had food left over and never knew, never had an opportunity to appreciate what had happened in their lives, who exactly it was who had made their lunch. 5,000 people experience a miracle. They partake of fruits of a miracle of Jesus Christ, and they never, they never knew. You look at the story in that way and you think how sad to be present and to never even realize that you had enjoyed the fruits of a God-given miracle. How sad to not even be aware enough to have a chance to give thanks for that which you have received. But that isn't just their story, is it? That's our story too. Isn't that an accurate description of you and me? We spend our time blindly going about our lives, stumbling through the things we do, thinking that we're really on our own. And for the most part, we never take the time, never spend the energy to realize the depth to which each one of us, every one of us, is profoundly blessed by everyday miracles given to us by our Creator. The earth upon which we live is a miracle. The air with which we fill our lungs, a miracle. The rain that waters our crops and fills our streams, a miracle. We are every day surrounded with the fruits of the miracles of God, and we hardly ever notice. I could go on for hour after hour about the magnificence of God's creation and how we rarely, if ever, really even take time to appreciate it. But I will leave you with the words of my favorite childhood hymn. When I was a kid, this hymn and its words always stirred me deeply, and the truth is, it still does. And I hope it will have meaning for you, too. All things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. Each little flower that opens, each little bird that sings, God made their glowing colors 
God made their tiny wings. The purple-headed mountain, the river running by, the sunset and the morning that brightens up the sky. The cold wind in the winter, the pleasant summer sun, the ripe fruits in the garden. God made them every one. God gave us eyes to see them and lips that we might tell. How great is God Almighty, who has made all things well. That's all for today. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you get notified of future episodes. By the way, I'm going to be posting a video. I've had several people say to me, I'm not really sure how I subscribe or how I manage my podcasts, Apple Podcasts, either on my computer. So I'm going to be posting a video to my video channel on YouTube, and I'll be giving you more information about that in the future. Also, you can find me on Facebook, and as I just said, on YouTube. Just search for SkyPilot Faith Quest. And if you'd like to get in touch with me by email, my address is dan at skypilot.zone. And on your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.